Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. And it's up and in, and you had to know that was coming. And Arenado nods out at Lopez as if to say, I knew, and now he says, come get me. And here we go. You knew something was going to happen, and here it is. Both benches empty, and they are really going at it now. This has been brewing for the last couple of days. And after J.D. Davis got drilled in the ankle, bodies start to fly. And it's these Cabrera who hit J.D. Davis is right in the middle of it. That's Pete in the middle of it. Yoan Lopez, brand new to this team, but he knew what was going to be asked of him. And he dusted off Arenado, and Arenado took exception. He has been separated from the pack. The Mets' second bench-clearing incident as the result of being hit by so many pitches. They had one in Washington the second day of the season, and now it erupts here in St. Louis. And I have to say it was only a matter of time. Well, after Davis got hit, uh, you heard me say it's going to get ugly here in the next couple innings, and here is what has happened. Um, that was an automatic. I personally wouldn't have thrown at the head of Arenado. I would have, I would have hit him, though. You think Arenado was out of line there? No. I'll let them handle their players. I know our player got hit in the head and went to first base. Well, I mean, I totally understand because I'm a big guy. I'm a big, strong guy. And he his obviously the manager wants to uh, have protection for, for his team and, and his staff. And I totally get it. And for me, like, I'm a big, strong guy. They don't, they don't know, like, my temper. They don't know what I could do. I mean... If I wanted to put someone in the hospital, I easily could, but I was just out there trying to protect my guys.
It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Wednesday, April the 27th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire if you want to interact with me. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as RisingApple.com. Well, welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. What a great day to have a show. I mean, what better day could we have asked for with all the action, all the shenanigans, the Donnie Brook, you want to call it, in the final game of the road trip, a successful road trip for the Mets at 4-2. and two. Great series in St. Louis. And joining me in just a little bit, we're going to have a guest, our good friend from Sports Illustrated, Inside the Mets, the Regazzo Report, Pat Regazzo. You could also check him out on the Frank the Tank podcast. So Pat's all over the place. Pat's getting a chance to cover the team for Sports Illustrated this year. And now that they actually have access to the clubhouse, what a great guest to have in just a bit as uh, we start to uh, see the 2022 Mets develop, but I think today was a a big day in the development of the 2022 Mets. So Pat will be joining us, and uh, you'll hear from him in just a little bit. But uh, you all know, as we continue to uh, progress here in the 2022 season, and, and 20 games is not a lot, but boy, does the season, and we always say this, the season goes by fast. As you get to know a team, there's certain thresholds and benchmarks, and the Mets were actually playing for one of those benchmarks today, the first one is always to get to 10 games over 500. When you're a team that wants to be at a high level of competition and, and be in that 90-plus wins and, and, and be in a good position to make the playoffs, not a in-the-muck kind of situation, uh, 10 games over 500 is a first benchmark. And the fact that here you are before May 1st, Mets fighting for that tells you how good the first, what, three weeks now almost? of the season that we've uh, the, the three weeks of the season that we've experienced. But as I was watching today's uh, festivities unfold, I, I, I was thinking about the show and thinking about how I was, I was going to come to you knowing that Pat was going to join us. And the word I would use, and I really been thinking about this for a couple of days, not just after this afternoon's ball game, the word I would use for this team so far is tough. And I think a lot of that has to do, of course, with their manager, a tough guy, Buck Showalter, a guy with a baseball tree that goes back to Casey Stengel, Billy Martin. Say what you want about those guys, the Yankee connection, or what was said about those guys as managers, overrated, what have you. Tough guys. Guys who are are in the fabric of not only the, uh, the New York baseball history, but baseball history. And Buck comes from that lineage. And Buck's a tough guy. Uh, and Bucks uh, has no reason to to have to want to do this job. Yeah, he's getting paid, but you can make some good money doing television and probably be a, a lot healthier lifestyle for sure. Uh, Bucks coming here to win, and Bucks coming here to make a statement. And I think his team very early is taking on that personality. If you watch, you watch Scherzer, and you knew Scherzer was tough because we've seen Scherzer in Washington for years. But I think until you see him every day. You don't realize how tough that guy is. Bassett, type A personality. Look at the kid today, Yoan Lopez, guy who is fighting for his baseball life, going in there, no hesitation to defend his team, which 
He may not even be here in the next couple of days. I mean, May May 2nd, uh, later this week, there's going to be roster changes. Uh, David Peterson's making a doubleheader start next week. Yoan Lopez is probably not. At this time next week, I don't think Yoan Lopez is going to be on the roster. Now, whether he's going to be on the team or not or in Syracuse, I mean, that remains to be seen. But there he is. He's going out and defending his team, a team that has felt uh, the opposition has taken liberties. Maybe they don't respect them. Maybe it's because uh, the type of hitters that they have on the club, guys that have traditionally been hit by pitches a lot, Nimmo and McNeil and Canna and guys like that. But when you see a kid, and I really can't overestimate this, I think, when you see a guy come in who the only thing he really had to do today, the game was pretty much over, was to defend his team and send a statement to a elite offensive player on the other squad. And knowing that, he may not be here very long. Not worried about himself. Not worried about his stats. Worried about being part of the fabric of this team. You know, you start to say, maybe there's something special going on. And you listen to guys like Bassett talk, whether it be about the baseball, or you watch how they interact in the dugout. Just all business, how serious. Um, guys like Scherzer and Bassett talking to the younger pitchers, Peterson and McGill and and working through the iPad and 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 honing their craft. How, as I said a couple of weeks back, how Francisco Lindor, who has struggled here to integrate himself into the New York, the fabric of the New York Mets and the fans, and and maybe a little bit with the team last year, how appreciative he was, how the the, the team stood up for him when he was beamed a few weeks ago, and then like Pete Alonso, basically, it seems like he almost gets his head taken off a couple of times a year. Every year. This is not the first time he's been used as a pinata up there. I mean, he's a guy that hits home runs. They want to pitch him inside. And, uh, you know, he's got the flap and whatnot. But he's got a, he's had a couple of 95-mile-an-hour fastballs coming uh, close to him more than just once the past three, four years that he's been in the league. Uh, you know, take one to the head and, and and potentially have a concussion, but not wanting to leave the ball game. And that's that's a tough team. That's a tough team. And yes, it is Buck Showalter and his personality that I think has become infectious very quickly around here. But I also think that the type of guys you have here and guys that many, you know, I mean, I didn't realize the Mets were the oldest team in the league. That's a fact. That was talked about on the broadcast the, the last couple of days on SNY. And and how there's some guys who are, are looking to get paid and get a contract potentially. But, but guys who have come here, and some like Bassett, who are not here that long, I mean, they... That he came post lockout, he's, he hasn't even been here two months, and quickly have put on the uniform and have dived into what really what you see in front of you is what culture is all about. The most overused term in sports media, I think, certainly today, but maybe in the last decade or more, I never heard the term. I mean, that's always talked about, and very few know what it is, uh, other than it's somewhat have become a narrative and, and a crutch line. Uh, for you know the media to applaud who they like and to uh, destroy who they don't, um, uh, you're seeing a lot of that develop right in front of you and right before your eyes. Now it's only 20 games, and things could change on a dime. You saw that last year, as I thought the Mets were starting to develop some of that last year. This team has a chip on their shoulder. Last year's team had a chip on their shoulder, but the chip last year, I believe was more uh, one where the team felt disrespected, and, and I think they victimized themselves a little bit. And instead of pushing through and breaking through and proving their detractors wrong, they, they, they had a glass jaw 
and they felt they they felt sorry for themselves, I believe, more and let that overcome them. I think this team has a chip on their shoulder because they want to win. They want to win badly and nothing's going to stop that. And if it means, you know, getting into it with the St. Louis Cardinals and um, and showing that you have your, uh, you, you know, that, that tough side of you, they're going to do that. And it'll be interesting. The Cardinals come to City Field for a four-game series in a couple of weeks. It'll be interesting to see how that transpires. But that's where I think you take away from this St. Louis series. Look, there was a lot of great moments on this road trip. I mean, four and two road trip. That's what you want. That's how you. That's how you handle a business road trip. And you had some great moments. Uh, you know, I know Arizona's predicted to be a, a second division club, but uh, like I said, they they hadn't been hitting. At some point, they're going to start to turn and 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 go to the mean, and, and that means they're going to probably hit a lot, and they did a little bit of that in Arizona. Uh, St. Louis, you had that incredible comeback in the ninth inning. I mean, if you want to talk about a team that even today, they weren't they had, they had a lead, but it wasn't a competitive ball game once they lost the lead. They don't seem to be a team, especially offensively, that jumps out at you statistically or have the ability to bludge the other team. But they do a lot of little things that add up. And that ninth inning on Monday night, just the at-bats, the grinding it out against a, a tough closer. Uh, you know, they got a couple of breaks with Arenado and the and the mustard on the hot dog play. And and obviously Gallegos not getting over. I mean, Dom's out easily if, if Gallegos gets over. I mean, look, to be fair to Dom, Goldschmidt made a great play. And that could have been easily been a double down the line. But I digress. I mean, they grinded it out in that situation. And look, the intensity. Last night, did you guys notice how the Cardinals, every single person, when they panned that dugout in the ninth inning, they were standing up. The Cardinals wanted last night's game. It was only a 3 nothing ball game. And Diaz comes into both these situations, situations that historically he has spit the bit. I mean, think about how disheartening in the past. Or did you have visions at all on both the Monday and Tuesday games, especially Tuesday when Diaz started out a little shaky? With his command, that uh, you could see a, a dramatic, great story turn the other way. I mean, that's what you've seen. But this is a tough group. And that's the theme through the first 20 games. And we're almost halfway through this 50-game stretch that we at the Talking Mets podcast call the getting to know you phase. And that's the word I would use is tough. The Mets are tough. And that's going to go a long way. And look, their next test is coming. They get a nice day off, take a chance to regroup. They've got the Phillies coming to City Field this uh, coming weekend. Then they got a four-game series, a true test against the team, Atlanta, that has beaten them in big spots consistently for about four years. Atlanta, since 2018, uh, they've been the class of the NL East. And any time there's been an opportunity for the Mets to kind of push past them, uh, like when they had that five-game series, they could have buried the Braves that five-game series in, in July last year. Braves took the series, kept themselves alive, and you all know what happens. And then they go back to Philadelphia. So they have teams right in their sights. And we're talking four ga- three-game series Phillies, four-game series doubleheader Braves, four-game series Phillies before their next day off. I mean, that's a, a, a monster stretch. Early in the season, truly a test, truly a situation where, hey, things have gone pretty well for this club. The starting pitching's been outstanding up until today. Offensively, they haven't really gotten going, but... They all have good uh, uh, compiled numbers when you look at them from an analytical standpoint. And yeah, the bullpen's been shaky, but it's gotten the job done for the most part. Now they're going to have a bunch of home games against division rivals. Let's see how tough they are. Let's see if they can build upon this. And I think in a crazy way, 
the beanings and all the hit by pitches, which seem to be more centered on the Mets, which could I think is a quirk of all quirks. Uh, this could be some kind of a bonding situation. They got luckily got thrown into a bonding situation as they start to develop and build this this 2022 Mets team. Now, here's what I'm going to say about the balls. Do I agree with Chris Bassett? Do I agree that MLB messes the balls? Look, we know they do. It's pretty much been proven. You want to know who I blame for this? I blame the media. Why? Because we're always trying to mess with the game. To fix it, to get the outcome, and to—it's all—it's like the old saying: "Don't make the perfect be the enemy of the good." And 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 the media and baseball and the powers that be and the analytics guys and all the conglomerate of people that think they're smarter than everybody else and they're really not have been trying to fix this game for at least the last five years. We know that, and every time they fix it or think they fix it, they make it worse. So they put humidors in every ballpark, but they don't may not know how to use the humidors properly based on the fact that you're in an April climate, not a July climate, and you have 30 teams, 30 ballparks, 30 different climates. So instead of just figuring this out and doing it right, we just, oh, let's let's fly by the seat of our pants. Maybe the baseball situation has to do with the global supply chain issue. I don't know, but I guess they're messing with the baseballs again. Spider attack becomes a thing. Everybody knew it was going on. Anybody who knew anything about the Astros knew it was going on. Jared Cole got a whole uh, contract off of it. Everybody knew. I knew about it. Nobody reported about it because they didn't want to hear about it. All they want to know is Cole to the Yankees. And and so now it got out of control. It became wiffle ball out there. Nobody could hit for a month anyway. And we took away all the spider tack. And, uh, and, and now you have a problem where you don't have an acceptable substitute. So now we're going to mess with Rosin and all these other things. Al Leiter, by the way, on MLB Network. Now, I was listening to it on, uh, on the radio. I wasn't watching it, but did a nice job describing the balls and the slickness and the, how rosin may not be the right uh, substance in certain climates and weathers and what have you. So uh, to me, the real story with that is, you know, every pitcher is going to have a different feel for the ball and have a different opinion on the ball. But we're all trying to perfect and fix every inefficiency in the game. The game's been around 150 years. It'll survive and it'll organically work itself out. Yes, there have been other sports that have needed uh, intrusion from a rules committee or the league itself, like the NBA with the hand check in the 90s, like I said, the NHL with the neutral zone trap situation, the NFL with how they've moved to more offense with how wide receivers are protected or how the kickoffs they've changed where they, uh, uh, where they get the ball, where they kick the ball off from, things like that. Um all of that works. You know, two-point conversion in the NFL, all that stuff. You know, you don't want to have a field goal fest in an NFL game. But I don't know if baseball's at that point. I've said this before. And I feel now we're already starting in, comparing it to 1968, talking about, we talked about this last season. And guess what? As the season went on, the product got better. Let's face it, there's a whole bunch of the Northeast that the, the, the weather stinks. Just came in from outside. Listen, I, it's it's late here. I'm doing this show late. I had to take the garbage out. It's garbage day tomorrow. It's cold. I still got the heat on. Good thing I get a good price on oil, or else you know I'm looking at the diesel prices. I'm sh- I'm I'm dreading my oil my oil prices next year. Talking about this podcast, better get some more listeners. But I digress. So uh, that's that. That's all I'm going to say on that. I'm sure they're going to mess with the game some more. 
I think they need to leave it alone. These things tend to work itself out. I do think the fact that they took away some kind of grip from pitchers is putting hitters at risk. And yes, you're going to have a situation where someone's going to get really hurt, and then that's when the you-know-what's going to hit the fan. And typically, baseball doesn't do anything until something really happens, and then they overcompensate. And that's why you're in the situation you're in. These guys are professionals. They'll figure it out. The game has survived a lot worse. The game has survived different eras. And yeah, they've intruded on the game before, what they did with the mound after 68 and everything. But I feel like now it's a con- there's so many things they want to do, and it's becoming this one big experiment. And uh, I don't want to see a league that's become a big experiment. Uh, that's not what we're here. I, think, I like the game the way it is. The game has been around a long time. We fell in love with the game for a reason, and it'll work itself out, I, I, I think. But I certainly think, at the very least for safety, forget about the product quality, which I think will work itself out. They should figure out what's going on with these baseballs and why there's all this grumbling, even though it's not everybody, why there's all this grumbling. Now, as far as the team, I told you this, I think it was either earlier this week or last week. When you start off, when you start off good, and the big debate and the complaint on Twitter, social media, uh, talk radio, whatever, is the 26, 27, 28 men on the roster. That's a good place to be. I'm sure we're going to have much larger debates, but that's a good place to be. I've said this, and I know this isn't popular. Mets have some decisions to make. May 2nd has come here in a snap, and they need pitching depth. So I don't want to lose Sean Reed Foley, or I don't even want to lose Trevor Williams. I don't want to lose any one of those guys. But you can't have 28 players after Sunday. You could have 26. Now, it seems to me everyone's assuming the Mets are going to carry 13 pitchers. And I know they could go to 14. They're going to allow that. The rules are going to allow a 14th pitcher if you go to MLB.com. But uh, there's no rule that says you have to carry 13 or 14 pitchers. As a matter of fact, the Mets have a good, uh, the kind of starters. And now with the DH, you don't have to worry about pinch hitting for guys if they get knocked out early. Uh, the starters who I believe are going to be able to go six or seven innings, you're not going to need as much pitching. And if you have guys with options, which on the fortune on the pitching side, they don't, that's why Williams and Shard Reed Foley, uh, you could lose them. Uh, you're not going to necessarily have to go that deep. You could shuttle some guys. Now, the problem is you don't have those guys with options, which is why you may want to lean on keeping a Trevor Williams. And I believe that that's probably, even though he didn't have a good start in one of his auditions, Sean Reed Foley, I think, is a different situation. I think he's more of a reliever, and he falls into that, or at least his command has not been mastered at all. I was impressed with him at times last year, but I don't think he's irreplaceable. Getting a starter, even though I know Williams might be a 4A type starter, although I think he he showed me flashes, and I and I I'd be, again, I'd be careful there. Williams replacing him would be a little bit harder. That's why we're having the conversation. Assuming that J.D. Davis, who I know is nicked up a little bit, is going to be okay and not have to go on the I.L., we're having conversations about sending Dom Smith down. And the ultimate firebrand here is Robinson Cano. Because the Mets fans don't like Robinson Cano for a couple of reasons. He's a Yankee in their eyes. He has not performed since he's been here. And even if he did perform, his bar is so high because he's a Yankee. And they still have a little PTSD for Kelnick, but that's starting to uh, uh, wane away, uh, fade away. In the Twitterverse, Pete Crow Armstrong, who's in low A or maybe high A, that's going to be their next thing, the guy they gave up for Javi Baez. But I digress. Um, so Cano really has always be, been behind the eight ball in this situation. Here's what I know. 
I have said, I've said this on the show. Uh, I Well, I've said for a while. I think Cano, uh, assuming he's healthy, I think Cano could p- contribute offensively. You saw what he did in 2020 in the pandemic shortened season. And since the second half of 2019, he's pretty much been a solid offensive player when you combine the two. He took a full year off when he was suspended. That's a big issue for any player. A player of his age is even a bigger issue. And the real question I have is, does he need time to get his rhythm back? Worst time is when you're off a year and you have a shortened spring training as an offensive player. And is that why you're seeing a lot of his uh, power the opposite way to left field? Or is his bat so slow that he can't get around a fastball? He's gearing up quicker. He's getting slidered, curved, off speed to death. That's why you're seeing the four threes. That's why you're seeing the weak pop-ups. I don't think I've seen a solidly hit ball pulled all year. Is that because he hasn't had the time to get himself and his rhythm going? Or is that because he's done? Now, there's a part of me that thinks he might be done. There's a lot of signs that may be going in that direction. But I don't think by Sunday I can make that decision. And, yeah, I said on Twitter, and everyone got crazy, and I know what they say is that, you know, do you want to release him? Even if Cohen says, I'll eat the money. It's still a lot of money, 40, 50 million bucks. I think Seattle's picking up some of the tabs, so it's not the full the full freight. Do you want to pay the freight, number one? Cohen will probably do that. And then he goes, he signs with the Yankees, for argument's sake, and he hits 300, and he looks somewhat like the older version of Cano the rest of the year. Gets the pinstripe bump, which you haven't seen that as much. The pinstripe bump has has faded away over the last five years. And you got to hear about it all year, the rest of the year anyway. And maybe you have some uh, times of the season where you're like, hey, JD's not hitting, Dom, you know, we'll get the Dom again. You know, hasn't really developed. I could really use a bat. I had a bat. I gave him away because I didn't want to give him 30 days. Oh, by the way, I could have given him 30 days because one of the guys, Dom Smith, who's clumsily in the in the mix here, he's really a pinch hitter. You don't really need a first baseman. He's not an outfielder. Uh, you could have sent him down because he has options. Same thing with J.D. Davis. Now, J.D. might land himself on the injury list. That might solve the problem, and away you go. Now, I would not. This is crazy. Travis Jankowski, who I did not even know would make the club. I kind of, at the beginning of spring training, I was like, ah, you know, he's not a guy to make the club. He's shown himself to have some valuable uh, component player aspects. Good base runner, good defensively. Uh, the Mets outfield depth. I mean, look at last year. They had guys like Billy McKinney and Mason Williams. They had to grab off of the scrap heap. Now they had injuries. But you can, you know, look, you saw it all takes is one bean ball. And you're down an outfielder, and you don't know what Khalil Lee. I mean, he couldn't hit. I don't know what he didn't hit. I never saw him make contact, much less hit last year. Nick Plummer is a, potentially a 4A guy. We have no idea who he is. And you let Jankowski go, and he goes and signs another team. You're going to be looking for the next Jankowski. I know, I know they got Jake Magnum and stuff, but the guy's in double A. Now you're back looking for your next Billy McKinney when you had a guy that you probably could have used. So to me, I don't know why a guy who's a hitting uh, with a 550 OPS that, and I'm not going. You you can listen back a couple of weeks back after the whole breakdown of the trade, the Hosmer trade. And by the way, Hosmer looks pretty good offensively. Could use that bat, right? Um, I don't know why a guy. Uh, you go back to that program. I talked all about Dom, and I broke down Dom outside of the 50 games that he had during the pandemic season with no fans in the stands. 
Dom has never hit league average. I don't know why sending him down is such a big deal. I mean, Mickey Mantle could be sent big down. Dom Smith can't? Really? Not the first guy to get sent down. I mean, sending guys down, I mean, it stinks. I'm sure he doesn't want it. I know he could play in a big league. So there's a team in, in, in this era of bad baseball. There's always a team that'll put him at first base and play him every day. But he's not on that team. He's on a team that's looking to win. In a way, Dom and JD, if JD, if they don't take the DH spot by the horns and play every day at DH, both of them probably belong playing for another club where they get their at-bats, perhaps a club that's not in contention. And maybe that'll happen, and maybe that's how they're going to get another bullpen arm, but that's another conversation for another day. But to me, there is no reason to give up on Robinson Cano by Sunday. I'm not saying bat him third. Look, maybe you bat him eighth or ninth. Maybe he just comes off the bench and plays twice a week. I'm not even sure I want him at second base because I got to tell you, Jeff McNeil's played a damn good second base. I mean, sometimes I feel like he's playing like a roving outfielder there. But I just don't think Robinson Cano, you can make the assessment he's done by Sunday. The other thing, and this is for Buck to decide and the, and the hierarchy, is he a guy that can play only a couple of days a week and get the reps that are, are necessary to be a productive player? And then the ultimate question, and none of us know that. We've never heard anything ulti- overly good. We haven't heard anything overly bad. Is What's his uh, influence in the clubhouse? Not just with the Latino players, but with the overall team, that veteran leadership. And you know what? If he has only influence with the Latino players, do you want to treat him like damaged goods on the way out? Look, the game will do that to anybody. You could get all angry all you want, but Robinson Cano, when, his all, when it's all said and done, you put his numbers up against other second basemen. He's in a Hall of Fame conversation. Maybe he's not a Hall of Famer. You can make that argument for sure. I'm not getting into that today. Uh, I'm not saying he's Joe Morgan. I'm not even saying he's Ryan Sandberg. But he's in the conversation. And, and when you have a guy like that, before you totally fish and cut bait, you got to, you know, either fish or you cut bait. <laughs> Make sure you do you you you've done all your research. Make sure everything is 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 for lack of a better word copacetic. Make sure that everything has been crossed off before you do that. I know it's easy on Twitter to throw people to the wolves. Look, Jolie Rodriguez, we we we've thrown him to the wolves fifty ways to Sunday, and I I finally start seeing people say, oh, maybe the guy's not that bad. Well, it's twenty games. It's not the NFL. If it was the NFL, the season's over. It's baseball. If it was the NBA, you're already a quarter of the way home. You're nowhere near his home in baseball. So so there's that. That's the whole thing with the lineup. And when you're talking about the lineup, when you're talking about 26, 27, and 28 in the roster, these are good problems to have. These are first-place division problems. Finally, Jacob deGrom, before I take a break and bring in Pat Ragazzo, Jacob deGrom, I said to everybody, this is going to be a long road. I said to everybody that, The Mets need to go on without Jacob deGrom, and when he comes back, he comes back. He could be part of this, and it'll be probably, if he's healthy, special. You're more likely, I also said, to see Jacob deGrom closer to when you're barbecuing on the 4th of July than you would be uh, Memorial Day. And you may not see deGrom to the second half. and, And nothing really could put any damper on this start because I think the Mets are behaving like a team that, hey, when deGrom's back, We'll see you. They're not waiting for DeGrom. At least through the first 20 games, they're not. But the news that he's going to go for another MRI and it's healing 
tells me that it's a longer road. And best case scenario I see is July 1st now. I really do. I also believe you're going to see a pitcher for the most of the regular season is going to be a five, maybe six inning guy, no more than 75 to 90 pitches. And any idea to put him in the bullpen, anything that's up and down, I mean, postseason is a different game by that point. So we'll talk about that. And then it's not necessarily, maybe there's some days off. You could space things out. There are things you could do in the postseason that you can't predict or script in, a, in the course of the regular season. But he's not a guy that could go four to five days or even three out of five days out of the bullpen. So I don't see that as very useful. I hear people say six-man rotations. What is that? What is, is that fair to Bassett and Scherzer to throw them off? So I don't think it's bad news. I would say the Grom news is lukewarm. I think it validates what I've said from the beginning. Play as if he doesn't exist. When he comes back, it's awesome. And expect it to be past the 4th of July or around the 4th of July. And you might have to watch the All-Star game first if you're into that before you see a Jacob deGrom start in 2022. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Pat Regazzo, Sports Illustrated, Inside the Mets. What is it? What are his thoughts on some of the things I just talked about? You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. We're back and joining me. Uh, you guys know him, uh, Pat Regazzo, Regazzo Report on Twitter. Check him out over at Sports Illustrated's Inside the Mets, si.com slash MLB slash Mets. Great stuff going on over there. And Pat uh, will be at City Field as he has been this weekend. And, and let me start here, Pat. Um, welcome back to the program. It's been a while. Uh, I, I call this the first 50 games, the getting to know phase of a team. And we're trying to get to know the Mets. And I kind of had a feeling going into this series, this was a tough team. But after today, uh, a guy trying to basically have MLB survival in uh, in Lopez on the mound and the retaliation and the toughness you've seen out of this team. Uh, I would say this is a tough team. And I don't think it's because of a brawl. I think you're seeing it day in and day out. And that's how I would uh, summarize the first 20 games. Uh, if you had to summarize the Mets, having been around them, this 2022 Mets team, uh, do you agree? And, and how would you summarize them in, a, in a, I guess, a, a top-level way? I would say even without Jacob deGrom, who, of course, is you know still out indefinitely, no timeline on when he can begin throwing again, um, although they did receive some good news that he can start loading and strengthening his shoulder uh, you know, before he gets cleared to throw. But this is a very talented Mets team. Um, I think there's no question about it. Uh, last year, you know, on paper, they they had a pretty talented group, but, you know, they dealt with a lot of injuries and, you know, underperformance. And, and I think this year, uh, the only thing that's going to come in their way is health as opposed to talent, lack of performance, or even lack of coaching and leadership. Um, I think they kind of have the right formula to be among one of the top teams in the league this year. We've already kind of seen it early on with how good their rotation's been, 
Um, their offense has been leading the league in two out runners in scoring position, RBIs. Um, you know, they've gotten the timely hits. They haven't, they don't necessarily have the power. I mean, power's down league wide in MLB right now, but the Mets have been getting timely and clutch hits. They've starting pitching has been great. The bullpen's been a bit shaky, but they've done their job, uh, especially as of recently for the most part. Um, so again, I, I think this is a very talented team and you kind of alluded to it before. This is a team that, you know, it's kind of that grit, that gritty veteran, uh, you know, locker room that they have, uh, you know, in that clubhouse, they brought in guys like Max Scherzer and Eduardo Escobar, Starling Marte, Mark Hanna. Like this is a team that has a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge. And if you mess with them, if you, they've already been hit 19 times, they lead the league with 19 hit by pitches. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to take exception to that. They're not, they're going to stand up for themselves. If, if you're hitting a slew of their batters and uh, you know, come after them, it, it, this is a Mets team. That's not going to, they're not just going to sit there quietly. So I would say the, uh, you know, the talent stuck out to me, the toughness and just kind of the grittiness of the club that they built over there. I think the grittiness is a good point. And sometimes that's a narrative, but, and it's only 20 games. I think last year they definitely had a chip on their shoulder. I think there was some toughness to that team, some grit, but I also think there was some victimhood, a lot of victimhood. And uh, you know, maybe it was, it was because of the whole relationship with the, the zoom and not being in a locker room. And now you guys are able to get in the locker room. But with an experienced manager like Buck Showalter, who comes from a great baseball tree, going back to Billy Martin and Casey Stengel, if you follow it. I mean, it's amazing how far back Buck, who came up uh, uh, under Billy Martin, uh, all, all skeletons and, and what have you in that closet, it's still a great baseball man. Um, I think they're kind of taking on his personality in a way there. Not that Max Scherzer or Chris Bassett, who clearly are type A guys, I'm sure that you've seen that yeah. yourself talking to them, need that. But I think it's infectious. And like you said, it's without DeGrom. DeGrom, I, I think, is a more uh, cerebral type of guy. And he's tough, but it's Scherzer. I think it's almost like I hate to go back to Scherzer alone, but you saw that with him uh, jarring. I guess it was with Arenado in the dugout last night. And then the brawl today. You knew things were simmering, but I think they're taking on a little bit of that, uh, you know, uh, personality, so to speak. And, and, and that chip is there, but it's a good chip on the shoulder. That's what I would call it, a good chip on the shoulder. Yeah, I, I think the mix of bringing in Buck Showalter, he brought in an experienced, um, you know, staff with Eric, Eric Chavez, obviously not experienced in the hitting coach game, but played 17 years in the big leagues, was you know, had a, had a pretty solid career, more than solid career came in and, you know, immediately had that respect as Buck did too, with his reputation and experience as a, as a skipper. Um, you know, you got guys like Joey Cora and Wayne Kirby and just like kind of the makeup of that whole staff mixed with the veterans who they did bring in, where they have guys like Scherzer and Bassett, who you, you even mentioned were our type A guys. I mean, yeah, they're bulldogs. They're, you know, they're not just, you know, lead by example guys. They are guys who will, you know, step up and, 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 you know, let their voices be heard. And, and, you know, that goes a long way that kind of can be infectious, um, you know, in a clubhouse. And we've kind of seen it early on already with those additions and the impact that they've had on the team, both on and off the field. And I think that I, I, re I thought that when I saw Lindor early in the year, say to the guys, and, and I think Apple TV picked it up uh, during the brawl. I appreciate you guys. I think he needed that a lot. Yeah. I think when you see Scherzer and Bassett talking to a Tyler McGill or a David Peterson and really um, honing their craft with an iPad in the dugout, and I don't think that's for show. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this game 
That's for show. And it's fun when people do, you know, back in the 80s, they did Hot Foot to that Mets team. And you see them do some goofy stuff with sunflower seeds. But this is a very serious club with their craft. It's all business. Not that they're not having fun, but it's all business and it's intense. And I think a lot of these uh, uh, situations that have come up, whether against the Nats or now with the Cardinals, it may be goofy for me to say, but I think it builds that camaraderie that you can't force. And, 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 and I, again, maybe I'm overstating it. It's only 20 games, but I think there's a good thing that comes from all this. And the hit-by-pitches are not good. They could hurt people, but this might be something that kind of helped this team build and grow and go through that old, I use that Pat Riley term, the innocent climb. They're kind of going yeah. through that right now. Yeah, no, they understand that there's going to be adversity it's only 20 games. I mean, they've been asked about it a lot already about the hot start, obviously. And, uh, you know, even some of the numbers with hitting and runners hitting with runners in scoring position, the two out RBIs, uh, the rotation ERA, uh, even winning the first six series of the season, which is a franchise record. Uh, Chris Bassett's kind of nailed it on the head last night. He said, you know, that's great and all winning the first six series, but I want to win the last six series of the season. Like, that's what really counts. Um, you, you know, you heard guys like Scherzer talk about how great it is that they're playing well, but they're understanding that it's only April. Um, you know, things could change, obviously. And, uh, you know, it's only the first month of the season and there's a long way to go. And, uh, you know, this Mets team is very focused. They are very serious. And, uh, you know, they do have that experience, you know, within the team, within the coaching staff, uh, that they understand that there's a goal in mind. Um, and that's to, you know, keep this up and build some, sustainability, you know, as the season progresses here and not just, you know, be one of those teams who had a hot April and then flamed out the rest of the way and, uh, you know, didn't win anything, didn't make the playoffs and, you know, didn't go deep in, in the postseason and, and even, you know, potentially play in a World Series and win a championship. So, I, again, I think that, uh, you know, there's always, you know, you hear from every team, though, every year about how the World Series is the only thing that matters. But, um, you know, at the same time, we have seen Mets teams in years past kind of, you know, play well early. I mean, last year was even ex- latest example being in first place for 103 days. And then in August, they kind of took a, a plummet and nosedive and, uh, you know, finished with a losing record. So again, like 20 games is such a small sample size, but again, I think that uh, the talent is there with this team. It's just going to all kind of come down on, uh, you know, relying on health. And if this team can stay relatively healthy, not suffer any serious injuries or, uh, you know, a barrage of injuries like we've seen in years past. So um, yeah, again, I, I think that they definitely got the right mentality and uh, it, it probably is a sign of what's to come this year. Pat Ragazzo inside the Mets, SI.com, Ragazzo report on Twitter. L- let's, you know, Bassett made some comments about the ball. They're starting to make their way around yeah. the league. You know, everybody's got an opinion. Uh, I saw that everybody compared the 2019 ball to a golf, uh, golf ball. And, and look, those balls took off. I mean, you didn't have to be at the ballpark and hit a ball to see balls take off. Here's my issue with MLB, and here's where I agree with Bassett, but I blame, I think, that the the fans are accountable in this. The media is definitely accountable. We're always messing with the game. You know, not enough offense, too much offense. Um, You know, ball this, you know, pace of play. And the game is 150 years old. And most of the time, sports work out their issues. Now, the real question I have, and this is where they may have messed up with the humidor and how they handle the humidor, and jam all this stuff down, maybe the baseball because of the global supply chain crisis, maybe that plays into it. But are we at, and I've said this many times, are we at the hand check point in MLB like the NBA was, the neutral zone trap point like NHL was? Are they at the point where the NFL had to you know, basically make wide receivers not be touched or else it's uh, pass interference? I don't think we are. 
And I'm afraid that we're really going to mess around with this to the point where it's going to make things worse. If, if the weather, and I think the weather has been awful, it's been cold and, and football weather. You were at the uh, city field the first weekend. I think that plays into it, but yeah. are we making too much? Out of it? Maybe we just should leave the game alone. Like not mess with the balls. Like all these, I know that some of the rules will be coming with shifts and whatnot, but the game seems to figure things out. And, and I feel like now we're overreacting to a couple of weeks, basically. I think we saw something similar last year um, throughout the first couple of months of the season. Uh, the league-wide offensive numbers were averaging Dave Kingman's career stats, which I yep. believe was around a yep. 230 batting average. And um, I, right now, I believe the, the league average is around 231. So a lot of that does have to play with the weather. Uh, some guys will say it's about the baseballs. Last year, we heard it a lot early in the year about how the baseballs were manipulated. They went from juice balls to dead balls, and we saw less offense because of it. But as the weather warms up, I feel like last season as well, we, we saw offense and home runs kind of increase and things kind of quieted down and went back to normal. So I do feel like we're going to see that again this year. Um, you know, right now when it's cold and then at the end of the season when it's cold as well, uh, you know, it is difficult for pitchers to grip the baseball. And that's some of the issue that Chris Bassett has. Bassett has that issue. Not every pitcher does. Carrasco said he does not. Uh, Miles Mikolas said that it was not an issue. He was also uh, kind of making some strong comments towards the Mets and towards Bassett's comments uh, in a little bit of a response today, I believe, when when someone on the Cardinals beat asked him about it. But, uh, yeah, I, I think the difference is uh, this year at the beginning is that uh, MLB, you know, took away spider tech. They took away sticky substances and, um, it's almost like in a way it is kind of like where before the league banned performance enhancing drugs prior to 2004, but when, when it was prevalent in the game, uh, you know, and guys kind of got carried away with, uh, you know, at the rate they were taking HGH and some of the other things they were taking testosterone boosters, hormone growth stuff, as I mentioned, um, when you look at the sticky substances, I mean, every pitcher for the most part was using this stuff to kind of help them get a grip on the ball, get a better spin rate. And uh, it got kind of to the point where uh, guys got carried away with it and the league had to crack down. And we've seen that many times throughout the game's history. Uh, even this whole Yankee letter that came out yesterday, um, you know, where teams started to utilize technology such as Apple watches and video replay rooms and cameras to relay signs, uh, you know, to the runner on second base. And obviously, uh, you know, teams like the Astros got carried away with it, the Yankees, the Red Sox, um, you know, stuff like that. Like there's always going to be something that comes along where guys get too carried away and then it ruins it for everyone else. Cause then the league has to step in and, and crack down. So that is why, uh, you know, there's no more spider tech. There's no more sticky substances. And, uh, yeah, in a way, I mean, it, it, when the weather's cold, it's, it's difficult to grip the ball with that stuff. And in a way it could be a safety hazard because, uh, you know, you see guys getting hit in the head in the face area, like the Mets have countless amount of times. It seems like in the first 20 games, like that's not good for the game either. And, Buck Showalter's talked about trying to find a happy medium, but uh, you know, who knows with, with the way the league is, they kind of don't budge on a lot of things. So uh, you know, the early numbers indicate that the Mets are the outlier uh, around the league where it's seven hit, yep. hit batsmen per, per team around the league. And the next highest is 11 and the Mets lead the league with 19 hit batters. Um, the league said they are, and this was an exclusive statement that I uh, obtained today, actually from a league spokesperson spokes person was that um, they are looking into why, you know, why maybe the Mets are, you know, getting hit more than others. Uh, but at the same time, hit batsmen are down uh, as lowest as they've been since 2018. And wild pitches are down, I believe, the lowest they've been since uh, 2012, I believe. 
So again, it is kind of odd that the Mets are the outlier, but Ron Darling kind of said something in, uh, you know, on the pregame broadcast on SNY today. And uh, he had mentioned how the Mets have a lot of hitters who maybe are vulnerable to the inside pitch. And that kind of could be a reason why they're getting hit so much because these teams are trying to, you know, they see the scouting report and them inside. To pitch inside. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That they've, they've seen a lot of, in, uh, you know, inside pitching. And uh, yeah, again, when you're on the plate like that, like it is going to lead to hit, you know, to hit batsmen. And, and sometimes the, the ball is not going to go where the pitcher wants it exactly. So, um, you know, again, you hope that they kind of come to a conclusion, you know, soon enough or a solution maybe to, to find a happy medium to maybe cut down on all these, uh, you know, these hit by pitches because Mets have been very, very fortunate so far very fortunate. this season, but uh, JD Davis took a pretty hard, uh, hard pitch to the ankle and foot area. And I believe he's in a boot now for the next couple of days. He was, he was really in some pain. I mean, luckily the initial x-rays showed, uh, you know, no fracture or anything, but uh, at the same time he's, he's hurting. So, you know, you got to kind of wait and see what happens with that. I mean, rosters uh, as of May 1st have to go down. Uh, at least they're going to let them, hold on to another pit, an extra pitcher carry 14 pitchers for another month. But um, you know, the Mets are at a, you know, they're at a place where they have to cut down on a position player. And uh, now with the injury to Davis, you know, you don't know if this is going to linger, if it's going to cause an IL trip. So um, you know, you never want to see a guy, you know, get hurt because of hit by pitch, but uh, you know, now the Mets have been able to avoid it, but you know, now today uh, one of their players at least has been dinged up a little bit, uh, you know, from getting hit. And, and that's where we'll go here because that's one of the big – you know things are good when we're all complaining about the 26th man here. Uh, Travis Jankowski, I think, with the depth issues they have in the outfield, uh, look at last year they had to go out and get Billy McKinney uh, and, and, and Mason Williams to plug holes. Yeah. The Mets have had issues there. I think he's a nice backup role player. I think Buck likes him. I think he provides a good value. Uh, I think he stays. Um, I think Trevor Williams is a guy to be careful about exposing to waivers. Sean Reed Foley, uh, you know what? I'm not so uh, sure about. Initially, I said, I don't, you know, that I'm, I'm not sure about the rule. I don't think you have to carry 13 pitchers. You don't, you know, and the Mets could cut Williams, assuming J.D. Davis is healthy and doesn't need to go on the, the, uh, the IL. You cut Sean Reed Foley. Maybe you put Williams out there and see if you could sneak him through. I think he has a right to refuse, so he's going to be more complicated and then the real question is, you know, uh, and this is where the real debate, and I'm curious your thoughts, we're ready to throw Robinson Cano off the, the island here. Now, I think it's a bad sign that he's hitting the other way with authority because that means he's behind. I think he's, he's early. He's trying to gear up for the fastball because his bat is slow. So he's susceptible to off-speed stuff. That's where the four threes and the pop-ups come. He might be done. I'm not ready just to throw him out, spend Steve Cohen's money, and then potentially go see him go somewhere. And all summer, be, you know, they could kind of use him as a DH. Uh, Dom Smith's got options. I know he's popular with the fans, but that's why you have options. Um, J.D. Davis has options. Now he might be injured. Uh, I say that you shouldn't cut Cano. You should send Dom Smith down before you cut Cano. Do what you can to save Trevor Williams. I'm not so concerned with Sean Reed Foley, and that's kind of where I'm at. I know I'm saving Cano, but I think there's a lot about Cano that we may not know in terms of what his impact is as a leader in that clubhouse. Maybe not just with the Latino players, but in general. Uh, I know that's not popular. I've taken a lot of heat on Twitter for it, but I'm curious your thoughts. You're around the team. You're in the locker room. What do you think and what do you see and what do you hear? Right. So that's interesting. Um, you know, they, they are likely, you know, barring, uh, you know, J.D. Davis's uh, latest injury, Mets likely will have to decide on what position player goes when rosters uh, cut down. 
on May 1st. So this is a difficult one because like you said, Travis Jankowski, uh, you know, with the Mets outfield depth, he, he is valuable having there, but, but he's produced, uh, you know, in the playing time that he's received, he's got speed, you know, he's good defensively. He puts the ball on play. He gets on base. I mean, you've even seen the last, the prior two nights where he had pinch hit or a pinch ran and uh, you know, the guy can go first to third on a dime. Like he's, he is very valuable and he's a good bunter, which we've seen a lot of good bunts out of the Mets this year, which is like uncanny if you've watched the team over the past decade or so, um, you know, a guy like Jankowski is, is valuable again, uh, you know, as that fourth outfielder and, and bench piece and pinch runner and defensive replacement. So uh, again, I, I think they do need to find a way to, to, to try and keep him. And then, and then that's when it gets tricky because JD Davis and Dom Smith are guys who are going to see increased playing time and have so recently due to Cano's struggles. Uh, you know, they're younger, they're under control. They do have the options and that that's unfortunately where, where you have to make the tough decisions. Uh, you know, what really might come into play there because um, again, Cano is owed around 48 million across the next two seasons. Um, you know, the Mets are going to try and see what they can get out of him, but it hasn't been a good start. And like you said, a lot of his authority with his hitting has gone to the opposite field and, and you want to see a player going the other way, but at the same time, he's not pulling anything. His bat speed Nothing. looks like, um, you know, his bat speed is, it looks very, very slow. There's no authority. Um, he has yeah, not hit yeah. anything on the pull side with authority. I don't think I've seen, and I've watched a lot, most of his at-bats of every pitch. Uh, I don't think I've missed anything that would have been a significant hit. It's concerning. Uh, do you think, I mean, your gut, you think he's done? Because my gut says, I, I think I'm starting to go that way, but I'm not ready. I need to see more. I at least need to June 1st, I think. If his and it's back- a lot of money. If his bat money. speed is, is what it is, if, if we're seeing the real Robinson Cano in this day and age with that bat speed, I do think that he's done as a hitter in the major leagues because with that, with that bat speed, you're just not a major league hitter anymore. Um, you know, he's, it's not the Robinson Cano we're used to seeing where he had, you know, insanely quick bat and a sweet swing and a, you know, a power threat. He's just, he's not, he made an impact in the first couple of games of the season, but really since then he's, he's been in a rut. Um, on the other hand, uh, again, yeah, you're right. Like they totally would have to cut bait with him and there's a chance maybe he goes somewhere else and plays well. There is also the $50 million elephant in the room that he's owed across the next two years. Um, but it's tough. I mean, he's, he is a very good clubhouse presence. He's a leader, not just among the Latino players, but among the entire room. Um, you know, Buck Showalter has just lauded his leadership since he came back and, and what a presence he is. And, uh, you know, that is a good guy to have around your team. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's about fielding the best 26 players every day. Um, you know, you see even Dom Smith's gotten off to a slow start, but you see the ground ball up the first base side and the, the diving head first into first base to help them win the game on, uh, on, on Monday night. Like that type of stuff is, is what you're not going to get out of Robinson Cano. And, you know, J.D. Davis has that, uh, you know, ability and value as well. So, uh, again, if, if you're thinking like keeping the best 26 players, then it's Dom Smith and J.D. Davis would stay and Cano would go. Um, it's just a kind of a trickier situation, a little more, more than that, uh, you know, considering they'd have to cut ties with Cano completely. And, um, you know, given the price tag that comes along with him, like that, you know, you're just eating 48 million. I mean, even for Steve Cohen, like that's not like a great business decision, cutting your losses like that, especially after, you know, 20 or so games. So uh, they are going to have a very tough decision on their hands. And uh, this is definitely why, uh, you know, guys like that in the front office get paid the big bucks to make those types of decisions. And, um, you know, it's almost like a luxury to where the Mets do have, uh, you know, they have almost, they don't have enough spots for quality players, but uh, again, Cano's start hasn't helped him out. 
And uh, obviously Dom Smith and J.D. Davis's options that they have don't help their case necessarily either. Uh, so you got SI.com inside the Mets. Regazza report on Twitter. I know you got to run, but what will we see? What are you looking? You're going to be at the ballpark. Seven games, doubleheader with the Braves, Philly series, then back well, back to Philly after that. So it's, yeah. a, it's a nice stretch now. May's got a little bit of a tough schedule. You got San Francisco. You got Colorado road trip. Um, a little bit of Phillies. What are you going to be looking for on this homestand? Obviously, the Mets are, are the, the first benchmark. Ten over is, is, is within their grasp very early. What's the Regazzo report, SI.com, inside the Mets, as I let you go here? What are you going to be looking for over the next week? Just for the Mets to kind of build off this, uh, you know, the strong start that they've had. Can they keep it up of being one of the better teams uh, in the National League and the entire MLB as a whole? Can they sustain this success, especially the rotation who's, that's been lights out, um, you know, other than Carrasco's clunker that he had today? But is this sustainable? Can they stay healthy? Um, what – how does Jacob DeGrom progress over the next couple of weeks? Is it realistic mm-hmm. that they get him back in the second half or at all this, or in the first half, I should say, or at all this season? Um, you know, Fourth of July. That's what I think. I'm looking at Fourth of July. You're going to be doing a Fourth of July barbecue and you'll be preparing to recover DeGrom's for a first start there, Pat. That's my prediction. I think the Mets would sign up for that, though, given yep. the production that they've got out of the rotation. And Tyler McGill, who's you know, obviously had a very strong start to the season as well. So I think those are things to keep an eye on with the team. Can they keep getting those timely hits as well? Uh, you know, how do they fare against the rest of the NL East? Like they, they just beat the Phillies two out of three. Now can they win another series at home? And how are they going to fare against the Braves, the reigning NL champs who are off to a little bit of a slow start of themselves, although they seem to be picking it back up a little bit as of late. So, yeah, there's all tests that the Mets are going to have to pass. Um, and, and we're going to see if, if this start uh, was just another hot Mets April, or is this the team that they really are? And, and I, again, as I mentioned about their talent, I, I think this team is talented. I think they're going to perform if they stay healthy. Um, so again, I, I do think this is, this is close to the real version of the Mets that we're going to see this season. Uh, they just have to keep it going and, uh, you know, kind of just keep winning series and uh, keep getting strong efforts from the rotation and, and timely hits from their offense. And, maybe some of the power will start to come around more. And uh, again, I, I think the, the bullpen's gotten off to a shaky start, but they've been better as of late. You got guys like Drew Smith, Edwin Diaz, Seth Lugo's bounced back. Um, you know, I, I think they'll be all right. Joel Rodriguez has been better in his last couple of appearances. Jason Shreve has been pretty solid this year. Trevor May is the one uh, concern right mm-hmm. now. I would say he, I think he, he told one of the uh, beat reporters the other day that uh, he only feels good about his changeup right now, which is a problem. Mm. Um, Big especially time. with a guy who you're, you know, you're looking at to be one of your premier setup, man. So. And a backup uh, closer yeah, and, a, backup and a backup closer as well. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think the bullpen was the major question mark coming into the season and uh, you know, they, they have pitched a little better as of late, but again, you're going to have to, you know, see a little bit more improvement out of them as the season progresses. So mm-hmm. those are the main things I think to keep an eye on with this team moving forward. Go on the Frank the Tank podcast. I know you got to run. Tell Frank to leave Joely Rodriguez alone. All right. Tell him, stop calling him Jelly Leg Rodriguez. Stop freaking out. It's 14 and six. Even my dad texted me, Lindor looks horrible at the plate. I'm like, enjoy the ride, man. It doesn't always have to be bad. So you go enjoy yourself. You go to Frank the Tank podcast. We'll do it again. Thanks a lot, Pat. I appreciate it. Awesome. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks All for right. having me on. Take care. That's Pat Ragazzo, SI.com, Inside the Mets. Uh, he goes over on the Frank the Tank podcast after, and uh, we got a few minutes out of him. I originally was going to have him on a little longer, but he had some other commitments. But it, it was a good segment, and you got to hear his thoughts and and basically what he had to say with some of the volleys that I set up in 
the opening. All right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Mets have had some of the best broadcasting teams in the history of baseball. We do our part in remembering that, like when Mark Rosamond, co-author of the book Down on the Corner, looked back on the post-game show Kiner's Corner, hosted by none other than the iconic Ralph Kiner. I agree with you. You know, you look at it, and, and I've kicked this around with a lot of people, including Steve Gelbs. I would love I know they do the on-field interview, like right after the game, but that's maybe three, four seconds, and then the player's off into the dugout and into post-game. And then you cut to, you know, Mets post-game live, and you have an hour worth of analysis. Uh, this was just pure player and, and the Hall of Fame player talking baseball. It wasn't over-analytical. It wasn't exit velocity. It wasn't... You know, how many times a shift was deployed in the game. It was just pure, simple baseball. And that's why I think people loved, of our generation loved it. it I, I think we've gotten to a point where baseball is overanalyzed and you lose some of the pureness of the game through the overanalyzation. And I would love to see it go back a little bit, but I don't think it will ever happen. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. great job and you know you gotta laugh i mean he was doing my show and then he's running off to do the frank the tank podcast and i'm sure frank is going to be mad about something and fired up about something frank didn't really go over well when i had him on the show last year i know a lot of people criticized frank i think he was in a bad mood that day he wasn't feeling it i think he was really frustrated with the mets and upset we even try to cheer him up but pat does a great job check out inside the mets sports illustrated regazzo report at regazzo report on twitter uh, so listen, buckle up. You got a day off. Uh, enjoy your day off on Thursday. No Mets baseball. It's always good, even in this early part of the season, to get away from the game and, and catch up on something. I, I always like to make some recommendations of shows, you know, whether it be Billions or Succession or something along those lines. Winning time on HBO, the Lakers, great. Even if you're a Knicks fan or you're not even a Lakers fan, great. You haven't watched it. I'm eight episodes in. I think there's two more for season one. I think they have a season two. Great acting. I know that some of the dramatization of Jerry West has driven everybody nuts. I mean, that's the thing. Nobody can have fun anymore. Nobody can let this, you know, everybody takes everything so seriously. Can Elon Musk fix that? I don't even know if he could fix Twitter. Certainly, I mean, look, the best part is I didn't leave Twitter. I haven't gone back on Twitter since Elon Musk was before or after. So you're still getting Talking Mets podcast. That's all I can say. We're digressing here into the uh, areas that we probably don't want to go to. But all right. So uh, where's the show? You know, you probably keep wondering and I want to update you. You know, Mike, what's going on? You know, the whole Sunday thing. It's not that we're going away from Sunday. It's that the Mets are playing a Sunday night game. I thought today we were always going to plan on coming to you because I thought it was a great checkpoint time. The brawl and what went on uh, with Arenado and the, and the series and the big comeback in St. Louis, it just was gravy on top. And I think that's how we're going to approach the regular season. You know, not just push it on a Sunday. And, and, you know, imagine coming on a Sunday if the Mets weren't playing Sunday night baseball and then talking about all this stuff days later. And after the Phillies series, it doesn't have the same impact. The stories change. So uh, basically that's what we're going to do. We're going to have weekly shows. We may have more than one weekly show. We may have shorts. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. 
listen to the program, especially after the, you know, I know sometimes people want to kick out the last few minutes when I say goodbye and everything. You never know what I could throw in there. It could be a movie review. It could be a restaurant review. It could be anything. I'm going to have to mix it up. And then one day you're going to miss out. And then, you know, it's your loss. And I'll kind of give you an idea of what I'm thinking. But I think right now, the next time we'll come together is after the Braves series. Checkpoint at that point. I think it's a late day game. Let me just, is it a late day game or an early day game? It's not a four. Wednesday is a one o'clock game. So perhaps, because I know that the quick turnaround Phillies the next day. And and Philadelphia's got it right. Those weekday games starting at 645. That's a good thing. Mets might want to think about that. I know getting out of work is tough, but everybody works remote now. So is it really a big deal now? Again, I digress. So anyway, want to thank everybody for joining me. We'll probably come to you after the Braves series. Big seven-game stretch, including a doubleheader against Atlanta. Like I said in the opening, this is a tough Mets team. They've passed every test so far. And they passed with flying colors. It's still very early. And like Chris Bassett said, you don't want to win the beginning six series. You want to win the ending six series. So basically, buckle up. A lot more baseball left to be played. I want to thank Pat Ragazzo for joining me today. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the Philly series. Enjoy the homestand. We'll be back with another Talk to Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.